0: Today's scripture reading will be from Genesis 18, 20 to 33. Please stand as we read Genesis 18, 20 to 33. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me and if not I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence, and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there will be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet. But there, this once, peradventure, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place.
1: I turned turn to the book of Genesis chapter 18. We're going to continue our series in the life of Abraham, surrendering to the unknown. Today, the message, I want to share motivating realities for intercessory prayer. And that's what our singing has been about today, prayer. That's why we just sang that beautiful hymn, Near, Still Near. We need to pray. Intercessory prayer. This is the first example of intercessory prayer in the Bible. As Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the first example of a man in Scripture initiating conversation with God. Think of that. We're only in the 18th chapter of the Bible. It's the first time man initiates conversation with God. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is your initiation of conversation with God. I want to motivate you to pray. George Mueller was a modern giant of the faith. He established the great orphanages in Bristol, England during the 1800's when there were many orphans because of all the different plagues. And he would go to God in intercessory prayer. That is, he would remind God that those little orphan boys and girls were ultimately not his but they were the Lord's. He he would say to God in prayer, God, are not you the fatherless or the father of the fatherless? And he would beseech God on behalf of these orphans, interceding, making specific and definite requests for God's provision of their need. And it was this passage in Genesis chapter 18 that taught George Mueller, he said, of humble pleading and argument with God in prayer. We need to pray. Intercessory prayer. Now, I've said that word a few times, and I want you to be saying to yourself, what is intercessory prayer? Okay, well, here it is. Intercessory prayer is simply a pleading conversation with God where you are asking Him for what? Specific needs. Specific needs. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. What? Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. Intercessory prayer is pleading with God for specific needs. Either your own personal needs or the needs of others. We need to pray because we are needy. (laughs) And two, when it comes to prayer, we're guilty. We feel that guilt. We feel our lack of prayer, but we... We often say, I just don't pray enough. And we kind of live with that. And we live with a gnawing sense that I just don't pray enough. I know I should pray more, but I don't pray as much as I should. Many Christians live that way. I say, let's not. Let's say no. To say, to to living, I know I don't pray enough. No, let's start praying enough. Let's not live with that guilt that hounds many Christians for a lack of time with God in prayer. I want to encourage you to do this. You want to feel the presence of God? You take that last song that we sang, Near Still Near. And it's right here in your worship bulletin. Take it home with you. And then, open up to a psalm. Open up to Psalm 19, the passage that Brother Vinny read today. Open up to Psalm 116. Open it up to Psalm 142, David when he's praying from the cave. That's one of my favorites. I love that, you know. A prayer from the cave, you know. But open it up to a psalm and then get on your knees and just start singing this psalm. And say, near still nearer, close to thy heart. Draw me, my Savior, so precious thou art. And mean it. And mean it. Because God is precious to you a great God and draw near to God and those temptations will flee away and your lack of faith will will dissipate like a morning mist And you'll feel the presence of God in your life we need to pray so I want to motivate you to pray today that's the message motivating realities we should be motivated to pray because of what is actually real As Christians, we live in ultimate reality. People say, oh man, you you just have some kind of blind faith. No, we we have a real faith. Henry Morris, who I deeply respect, one of the great Christian scientists, strong biblical creationists, he said this, that this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is the most remarkable example of, of intercessory prayer in the Bible. Now people say, everybody has what in their closet? People say, everybody has what in their closet? What? Skeletons. Here's how not to have skeletons in your closet. Set it on fire with prayer. Set your closet on fire with prayer and the skeletons will turn to dust. So let's go to Genesis chapter 18. And notice this passage. It is so amazing. Genesis chapter 18. Remember, the Lord comes in bodily form to Abraham with two other angels. So when Genesis 18 begins, the Lord Himself comes with these two angels. And what is Abraham doing in, at first, with this angel, uh, with the Lord, what is he doing? He's preparing them a meal. And in verse 7, what is? how is he moving about in preparing that meal for the Lord and the two angels? Verse 7, what's the word? He's what? He's running around. You see that? He's running here. He's getting a meal ready. running. Then the meal is done, and now the Lord... Rises up from the meal, but Abraham goes with him. And in verse number 16, the Lord rose up. And what is he doing? The word isn't there, but what's the idea there? The Lord rises up with the two angels, walking towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does Abraham do? What is he doing? And he's walking with them. So first he's running around. Now he's walking with the Lord. And then, when we come now to verse number 21, as the Lord hears the cry of Sodom, and he says, I'm going to go down now to see what's going on there. And it says in verse 22, and the men turned their faces from thence. So that's the two other angels. They turned away from Abraham and the Lord. But what does Abraham do in verse 21? What's his position there? He's what? Standing. So he's running, walking, and now he's standing with the Lord, having this conversation with God. So he's having a conversation with the Lord, who has appeared to him in bodily form. We call this a Christophany, a pre incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. It's a miracle. And I want to motivate you to talk to this Lord in intercessory prayer. Because there are three realities I want us to see from this passage. They were real in Abraham's day 4,000 years ago and they're real right today in our day because humanity hasn't changed and life hasn't changed. So I want us to see three awesome realities that are in this world that should really motivate us to engage in intercessory prayer. And the first one is this. We should be motivated to pray over our specific requests because of God Himself. Because of the real, and I put it this way, because of the real and glorious character and nature of God. God is awesome. He is the eternal God. He inhabiteth eternity. He is Transcendent over all of the universe, the sovereign God, but yet He is personal in each of our lives. He is unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, immutable, never-changing. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is our peace. He is our refuge. He is our shield. He is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In one divine essence. And we can talk with Him. And God is a God Himself so connected to prayer. Because Jesus Christ Himself is now seated at the right end of the Father. What is He doing for us? He's interceding. He's interceding. That means taking specific requests we make and Bringing them to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is in you. What is the Holy Spirit doing in you? He's making intercession in you with groanings that cannot be uttered because sometimes we don't pray as we ought. We sometimes don't know what to pray. Sometimes we pray amiss. But the Holy Spirit is really interceding for what our true needs are. Bringing them up to the Son who shares them with the Father. Do you see how important prayer is to our great and glorious God? And because of who he is, I say on this passage, based on this passage of scripture, we're going to look at a couple things. But we should be moved, we should be motivated to pray with great humility because of his greatness and our littleness in comparison to who he is. We should be motivated to intercessory prayer because of who God is. That's letter A. Who is God? Now, that's a big question. We had a beautiful message yesterday at camp on Isaiah chapter 40. It's a great chapter that tells us who God is. But there's a, there's a verse here that is so awesome. As Abraham is asking the Lord in verse 25, who, who is God? Who does Abraham realize God is in verse 25? There's a question at the end of that verse. What's the question? What's the question? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Shall he not do the right thing? Do right. Now, what does that tell us about God? That he's a judge. Now to be a judge you have to know you have to know what the truth is in order to you have to know what that person has done in order to make the right ruling so God is the judge now is he a local judge or what does the bible say there he's the judge of who is it is is he a, lo, a judge of one town one city one nation is He a local God? You know, a lot of people have this idea, oh, th- that Jesus is good for you if you live in there, you know? No, Jesus, He's talking to Jesus, by the way. <laughs> a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And Jesus Christ is who? The judge of every man and woman who has ever lived anywhere on the earth. Amen? You say, hey, how could that be? Well, the Bible says... 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall judge who? The quick, that means the people who are alive on the earth, and the dead, that means who? The people who have lived and are now dead. He's going to be the judge of everyone who has ever lived and ever died on this earth. You say, really? Really? Show me somewhere else where it says that. Okay, how about that? Acts 10, 42, Peter preaching. Peter says, he commanded us that he's the he there is Jesus. Jesus commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick, the living and the dead. A man doesn't think this is possible, but it's the truth. You say, well, that's just two verses. Well, let me show you another one. Acts 17.31, can you read it with me? It says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Well, what man is that? Keep reading. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So the one who has been raised from the dead has been ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead of the earth. Who is that person? It's Jesus Christ. He's the judge of all the earth. And remember a couple weeks ago now, you have to scratch your brain on this, we looked at the two words of justice and judgment back up in Genesis 18 where God had said to Abraham, I know that he's going to keep the way of the Lord in Genesis chapter 18 verse 19 and he's going to do what? Justice. That means He's going to do the right thing. And then judgment. He's going to treat people the right way. And here He uses the word mishpat that's used in that verse. Shall not the God, the judge of all the earth do right? In other words, Abraham is arguing with the Lord in a sense, in a humble way. He's saying, Lord, You expect me to do what's right. You're the judge of all the earth. Will not You do what's right? Now this, this we have to know. That our God is a just God. And as you get to the end of the uh, get to the end of the story, even in the book of Revelation, they praise Him in heaven because He is the God who who is true and righteous in all of His judgments. Shall not the God of of the, the, the Judge of all the earth do right? Yes, He will. And remember. Abraham is not very far away from that time when the God God who was the judge of all the earth, what did He do to the earth? He destroyed it, right? He destroyed all the earth in the days of Noah and the flood. So He's already destroyed the whole earth. And He did what was right. And now Abraham is appealing to God as His judge. So, We should pray with intercessory prayer because of the, the glorious character of our great God and Savior. By the way, there's an outline in our worship bulletin on page 10 and 11. And the second blank under that letter B is not only because who God is there, but B is because of who I am. So God is... Now, compare this now. Who is God? The judge of... All the earth. He's eternal. (laughs) Who are we? What does Abraham say about himself? As he is interceding to God, as Abraham is praying, and he's going to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah, and for God to have mercy upon the righteous who are there, Abraham recognizes what is he in verse 27. What is he? He is dust and ashes. Now think of that. Dust and ashes can come before the eternal God. We ought to pray, man. Wow. Just dust it. You know, underneath your pretty face, underneath men, you, all your strong muscles, you know, underneath the, the beautiful smiles that, that God has given you, you know what you are underneath that? Take the spirit out of your body and leave the body there for a couple of days. Ha <laughs> ha. Goes back to the dust. Now, when you say dust and ashes, what is Abraham telling you about his faith? Where did he come from? Where did he come from? He came from what? Ground. Does Abraham believe that he evolved from a monkey? No. He believes he came from the dust, and who made that dust and formed and fashioned it? with his own hand, God, and then breathed into that dust. And man became a living soul. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7. So we must not forget that we are dust and ashes and that is what's going to keep us humble. Stay away from pride. You know, a proud person won't pray. When you realize you're dust and ashes and you can go before the judge of all the earth, you'll be motivated to pray. You know why we don't pray enough, we become proud, we forget our littleness, and we forget his greatness and glory. So Abraham this is an amazing thing. He knew he didn't evolve and come from a monkey. You know why? So, You know why they took prayer out of our public schools? Because we started teaching evolution in our schools. Why pray if you're getting so much better <laughs> and evolving into a higher species? Soon you won't be able to tell whether man is an actual man or a machine. Some kind of a hybrid computer. That's what men are trying to do now. Hopefully the Lord will come back before it gets too confusing. But we need to pray. I love this verse. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. In Genesis 2-7 it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life man became a living soul. You know what salvation is to many people? Psychological salvation. You know what it is? Salvation to the secular person in the world who has no faith in God. What are they trying to... Where are they trying to arrive at? What are they trying to achieve? Well, salvation for a secularist, a person who's not a Christian, maybe an atheist or an agnostic of some kind, many of them feel that real fulfillment in life is having... Positive self esteem. Now, we think about ourselves whether we like it or not. We all do. You think of something of yourself. But here's how to have the right view of yourself realize you're made from dust and ashes. And realize that in spite of how God has, uh, in spite of that, God loves you. God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die. He loves you with an infinite and eternal love. That God knows you from the foundations of the world. And God says, I've made you. I've fashioned you. You're here by My creation. You have a plan and a purpose. Come to Me and I'll give you abundant life now and eternal life forever. Live for Me. God says to all of us, come unto Me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's healthy. We're dust and ashes. And God is the judge of all the earth. (laughs) That's the truth. That's the reality. That's a reality this world doesn't know. This world talks a lot about privilege. Who's privileged? You know who's privileged? Everyone that is made in the image of God. That's who's privileged in this life. It's not about color. Of skin. It's not about ethnic origins. It's not about what nation. It's not about what language you speak. That's all. We have nothing to do with any of that of why we're here. You know what the real privilege is? Take a breath. You have the breath of God in you, you have a living soul in you. You are made in the image of God. That doesn't mean you're saved. That means you're made in His image now. We've all fallen from that image and we need to be born again to be restored to that image. Oh yeah. Who's that cute little kid in the middle? You know where I was that day? I was at... Forbes Field, Pittsburgh, watching Roberto Clemente. And I got the lineup card in my hand. And I still have it, signed by Roberto Clemente on my wall at home. But I was about, this was in 1966, the Pirates beat the Dodgers with Don Drysdale pitching. But next to that, you know, my dad was my, my little league manager. And if we played a good game, he, he would say, I'll take you to Dairy Queen. Now, if we lost the game, he just took us for a Coke. But if we won, he'll take us to Dairy Queen. And I would go to Dairy Queen, and I'd say, Dad, can I have one of those soft-serve cones? He'd say, yes, son. i say, okay. Dad... Can I I don't really want that. Can I have a hot fudge sundae with the cherry on top? He say, "Well, okay, son." I was like, "Okay, I'm getting there." And then I'll say, "Dad, can I have a banana split?" <laughs> you know, that's kind of how Abraham's talking to God here. I won't tell you whether he said yes or no. At that point it was usually no, but it's kind of how Abraham is talking to God. That's intercessory prayer. The second thing I want us to see is why we need to pray is because of the real and great danger of sinners. We need to pray because of the real and glorious character of God, but the real and great danger of sinners. Now, let's, let's move quickly. This ought to, because of the danger that sinners are in, this should move us to what kind of intercession? compassionate. So Abraham is praying for Sodom and Gomorrah because Sodom and Gomorrah is in trouble. God sees what's going on there. He's going to go see what's happening and he's going to judge it. So Abraham is moved to compassion because who's in Sodom and Gomorrah? His nephew Lot as well as other people that he had rescued previous. Maybe Abraham knew them and had relationships with other people in Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted God, he, he wanted the people of there, there not to be judged. So he has compassion humanly for those in Sodom and Gomorrah because they're in great danger now. Go quickly back to Genesis 13, 13. What does it say there about Sodom and Gomorrah? What does Genesis 13.13 13 say? That the, the men of Sodom were what? Wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So, he, they were in great danger because the sin of Sodom was great. That's a, that's a. The sin of Sodom was great. Now go back to Genesis 18 and verse 20. And it was so great. You know what he says here? Not only was the sin of Sodom great, but what's great in chapter 18 and verse 20. What's great in chapter 18? Talk to me now. What's great in chapter 18, verse 20? The the cry. But you know what this is? This isn't the sin. This is the cry of the victims. Because wherever there's great sin, sin is committed against human beings which leaves victims of sin. The murderer leaves a victim wallowing in blood. The sexual deviant leaves people Greatly damaged because of that. And on and on. with The thief leaves people victimized. So here, the cry of Sodom was great. Wherever there is wickedness, there are victims to that wickedness. I saw this week in the news, a young gymnast named Michaela Maroni. She and other gymnasts went before a Senate committee and told of the terrible crimes of abuse against them. The Inspector General of the FBI, Horowitz, confirmed during the testimony that 70 little girls were victimized by this trainer after the FBI got the case and was told what was going on. In a sense, the FBI is very much involved in criminal activity because they covered it up. Inspector General Horowitz confirmed to the United States Senate Committee that FBI officials deliberately misled the facts during the investigation. These young ladies went to the FBI and then the FBI falsified their testimony. And let the abuse continue. This is wickedness in our country. Only a thimble of it, but some of it. And this young lady sadly testified this. He says, she said, What is the point of reporting abuse to our if our own FBI agents are going to take it upon themselves to bury that report in a drawer? This is the cry of a victim, dear friends. She said they had legitimate evidence of child abuse and did nothing. And this is a very powerful statement when I read this. It made me say I should use this as an illustration right here in this message. She said, if they're not going to protect me, I want to know who are they trying to protect? Whoa. What's even more upsetting to me is that while these FBI is that these FBI agents have committed an obvious crime, she said. They falsified my statement. That is illegal in itself. Yet no recourse has been taken against them. And even the Department of Justice, when hearing what the FBI did, the Department of Justice, when hearing that the FBI falsified these reports and other things, they refused to prosecute those FBI individuals. This is our secret intelligence agencies of the United States. We need to pray. Because there are a lot of victims in this nation right now. And God hears there. And beloved, our nation, this is just an example of how the moral fabric of our nation has come apart. And we need to pray for our nation, for our world, because of the real and great danger that sinners are in. The sin was great, the cry was great, the judgment of God is great. Now notice this passage in Genesis chapter 18. Quickly here, verse 23 through 25. It says, and Abraham drew near to God. He said, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Destroy means to sweep them away. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? At verse 24, he makes his first intercession. He says, wilt thou destroy and not spare this place for the 50 righteous that are therein? If there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you save them? Is Abraham's prayer. Or God, he says, will you sweep them away? Will you not spare? Will you slay the righteous? Verse 25, he says, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. So Abraham is praying because of the great danger. You know the reality of Sodom and Gomorrah, though, in the Bible? It didn't just happen in Genesis chapter 19. But the sins of Sodom have been duplicated in other cultures throughout history and have faced the same judgment. Did you hear what I just said? You duplicate the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, you will duplicate the cry of the victims of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you will duplicate what? The judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I want to show you that with a few verses. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 9. You could turn to these in your Bible, but it's up here. Look at this verse. And this is how the sins of Sodom, and we know what they are. Sexual immorality, of course, homosexuality, and the term sodomy came from the, the city of Sodom itself. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 9 says, The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Now think about that. This is how the sins of Sodom work in every culture where it's played and duplicated. They, hide, they don't hide it. They're not ashamed of it. It says, they hide it not. They declare it. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. And God judged Israel for this. This was in Israel. By the way, this wasn't Sodom and Gomorrah. This was Israel in Isaiah's day. And so to declare means literally to promote. They promote their sin as normal. And then they recruit and seek to get others, as many as possible, to join in their sinful ways. This is how their lifestyle is lived out without any shame, with the desire to bring others into the sinful pathway. And then to shut down those who would speak out against them. And there are other verses, but I want to show you this verse. Look at Jeremiah 23, where it says here in verse 14, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of the evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom, and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. In other words, you will have religious people uniting with the sodomy and those promoting this lifestyle and say, yeah, it's okay. That's the way they were born. This was what's happening in America. You have major denominations endorsing homosexuality. You have churches across the street and all around this community as well endorsing sexual immorality. And by the way, it's not just homosexuality. I'm talking about adultery. I'm talking about fornication. I'm talking about premarital sex. We need to get right with God here and in America and in New York City. Says the prophets, not this preacher... I will always stand against immoral sins of fornication and adultery. Adultery is a wicked crime against the family. Pedophilia is going to be legalized next in America with children. And, and what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Here it is. It's an example. Second Peter, Second Peter 2.6, it says, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them with an overflow..." making them a what? An example, which is example to those that after should live ungodly. The reason the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is in our Bible, it's an example for us. This is what happens to a culture gone morally wicked. It's happened to other nations. Rome and Greece of old. And beloved, the sins of Sodom will be repeated in the last days. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 8. The city of Jerusalem is spiritually called two things. And you know what they are, Micah. What are they? Sodom and Egypt. So these sins will be in the last days. Go to uh, Luke chapter 17. We're living in these last days. We should expect a proliferation of these sins. Don't fall for the deception. Sin is always sin. God, is the ro- God has the right to tell us what's right and wrong and Him alone. You read your Bible. If, you tell, if I'm saying anything wrong, you read your Bible and get it right. But Luke chapter 17, Jesus said that the last days will be like what days in verse 26? Like the days of who? No, not yet. Let me, uh, the days of who? Noah. What did God do to the whole world in the days of Noah? We said it. Destroy the whole world. And And, and then he says in verse 28, he says, Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, excuse me, they planted, they built it. But the same day that the Lord, the uh, same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So you might say, you really think God rained down fire on Sodom? You, you really believe that, these stories in the Bible? Jesus did. Jesus be- Jesus taught it. <laughs> Of course I believe it. I'll believe Jesus any day over any man. Because I pray to Jesus. He's the one we're talking to. <laughs> He's the judge of all the earth. Shall he not do? Right? He's not a liar. So the point is, in the days of Lot, the people in Sodom and Gomorrah didn't wake up that day and say, Oh, wow, the fire's coming down from heaven today. You know what? No, they woke up and said, Oh, i got to go to work. Oh man, I have a coffee appointment. I'm going to have coffee with so-and-so. Oh, oh, so-and-so's getting married. My, my daughter's getting married today. They were just planning their life. They were doing life. They were in the rhythm of life. Just happening, to everything normal. And all of a sudden, whoosh! That's how it's going to be. The world is completely oblivious and blind to the holiness of God and to His coming judgment. And lastly, we need to be motivated to prayer because beloved our nation is in great danger. We're in great danger, spiritual danger today. We need to pray for revival. Revival is the only thing that can truly save America. When I say revival, a mass repentance of all of this moral wickedness, we're not taking a miracle. And a turning to God. Turning to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe in the power of His, of His blood shed on the cross. Believe in the power of His resurrection. Believe in the power of His second coming. We have a great, real, and glorious God. And sinners are in real, great danger. But the third motivating reality I want to encourage you with is that God gives real and gracious answers to prayer. I say gracious answers to prayer because we don't deserve it. You know, He does exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. Now, this should move us to persistence. That God is gloriously great should move us with a humble heart that da- sinners are in danger should move us to a, with a compassionate heart. But this should move us to persistence. That God answers prayer. And you know how many times He answered prayer for Abraham in this passage of Scripture? Not once. Because Abraham said, Lord, would you save Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 righteous? God said, yes, I will. Okay. Lord will you save Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 45 righteous? And God said, yes, I will. That's two answers. Lord, will you save those in Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 40 righteous? And the Lord said, yep, that's three answers. Lord, will you save Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 35 righteous? Yes, I will. That's four answers. Lord, will you save those in Sodom and Gomorrah if... Don't get mad now, Lord. He's, asking, he's going for the banana split, you know. He's got the he's got the hot fudge Sunday. He's going for the banana split. He said, Lord, will you save him if there's twenty? Please. Yes, I will. That's five answers. Okay. I'm going for the whole store right now, man. Lord, will you save Sodom and Gomorrah if there are ten righteous? And the Lord didn't say no. He said, I better get out of here before he asked me anything more. Because you know how many righteous there were in Sodom and Gomorrah? Not even ten. You know how many there were? How many came out of the city? Four. And they all didn't do right after they got out, did they? I think Moab and Ammon was born then. But the point is, is that Abraham's intercessory prayer was persistent. It was specific. And God answered his prayer six different times. Wow. So don't, don't believe God doesn't answer prayer. God answers prayer. And the second thing I want us to see here, what a nice picture. My little bell. <laughs> Who is, what's Chloe today? Who is she today? She's somebody every Sunday. She says, today I'm Daisy, you know. But there's my little Chloe. With Ian and Debbie and Christy passing out gospel brochures at 9-11. The point here of this story is that it's the righteous that hold back God's judgment. When I say righteous, not just their good works, their righteous standing before God, their salvation, they're saved, they have the righteousness of God given to them. So the righteous, those who are saved, hold back the judgment of God by virtue of their right standing before God. You know what's ultimately going to save America? Not how big our military is, but how great. Our spirituality is of those who are saved by the grace of God. Amen? That's what's gonna save America. It doesn't matter how big our military is if we become to the pl- so rotten and so unsafe and so immoral. God can judge us any anytime. Doesn't matter how big and how big our bullets are or how mighty our- our warheads are. Doesn't matter. God can destroy us when He's ready. And this is why we must maintain a soul-winning church. Because the true strength of America, the true strength of America, you know what it is? It's in little churches like this with godly people who love Jesus Christ. I say to you, love the Lord Jesus. Love Him. Let's love Jesus Christ. Let's love all He is and all He's done. Let's love Him for who He is. Yes, He's a great God. The implication of this story is that a tiny minority... Listen to me. What I have here? Yeah. This is our tiny minority. Yesterday at Kent, up at Tri-State Kent, a tiny minority can do what? That's the story. I'm talking about the story we're looking at right here. How many people did it take to save Sodom and Gomorrah? Ten. A tiny minority can save a city. Do you know what? Lot shouldn't have been sitting at the gate doing business and trying to get power in that city, which is what it seems like Lot wanted. Lot was saved, a righteous man, but he was vexed by that city but did nothing about it. He didn't try to win them to the Lord. So let's not get so busy doing business and making money that we forget we're here to win souls. We're here to win souls. Because the Lord has commissioned all of us to go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Are you preaching the gospel to anyone? Are you sharing the gospel? By the way, this sister, she can can pass out gospel tracts. Evangelist, a gift of evangelism. She's not preaching in church, but she loves to share the gospel. Now, that's her gift. Maybe all of us don't have that gift of evangelism, but we're all called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the Gospel. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my what? Witnesses. God wants us to be witnesses for Him. Once we're saved, He wants us to tell other people about His salvation. And it's joy. That will put some joy in your Christian life. I'm done. I'm going to just read what Charles Spurgeon said and then we'll pray. Spurgeon said this, If lost sinners will not hear you speak, they cannot stop your prayers. Do they mock you and make fun of your exhortations? They cannot disturb you or mock your prayers. Are they so far away that you cannot reach them? Your prayers can reach them. Have they declared that they will never listen to you again? Or see your face? I've had people tell me. I've had my family and my loved ones tell me, Matt, I'll never believe what you believe. Matt, I can go other places. I can go to a ball game with you. I can go here. But I'm not going to ever come to your church. That hurts. But I could still pray for them. They might never listen to what you have to say or see your face, but never mind. God has a voice and they must hear His. Speak to God. He will make them feel. Though they now treat you despitefully, rendering evil for your good, follow them with your prayers. Never let them perish for your lack of supplications. Let's stand together as we pray. And I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And as we stand together... I would like for our altar to be open for you to come today. For you to make intercessory prayer for our city. For you to make intercessory prayer for your loved one. For you to make intercessory prayer for your friend. For our nation. But let's have the altar. Let's be motivated for the reality and the power of prayer today. So let's look unto Jesus and turn our eyes upon Him. Are you weary and troubled today? Father, please work in our hearts prayer. I'm going to ask You to step out of Your seat and come and pray. Talk to the great God of Heaven. Talk to the great Judge of all the earth. Come on. Let's just make this a... Jesus said, my Father's house is a house of prayer. So let's pray. Let's pray before we go today. Say, well, I could pray up your seat. You can. If that's what you believe God wants you to do today, you just stay right there. But I'm encouraging us to just come forward and get on your knees if you can. If you can't get on your knees, then don't. Stand. Abraham stood before the Lord in prayer. But something about humbling ourselves before God as well, getting on our knees and focusing on Him and Him alone. Pray for our city. Pray for those people who say, Don't tell me any more about your Jesus. Pray for that husband that's divorced you. Pray for that wife that's left you. Pray for your children that used to come to church and will have nothing more to do with God. Pray for your boss. Pray for that boss. That God would open his heart. He'll hear God speak when God comes knocking at His door. Yes, Lord, speak. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Who would say, Pastor Matt... I'm here today, but I'm not a Christian. Pray for me, preacher. Is there anyone who'd say, I just need to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. If I die today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Dear friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in great danger today. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. Come to Jesus Christ. Is there anyone like that? Can I pray for you? Is there anyone? Just slip your hand up. I would love to pray for you today. I'm going to ask Sid to come and lead us in this song. We can quietly, prayerfully sing it if you're at your seat. Or if you want to pray it from your knees, you feel free. Turn. Let's sing just the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you want to pray it on your knees, you can. I'll tell the words as Sid leads it out. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. So i sing
2: the chorus. Light of his glory and grace. In the Lord of his glory and grace. First stanza. First stanza. O oh soul, are you. And the things of earth will grow strangely in the light of His glory and grace. Amen.
3: Father God, we thank you for your precious word dear God for the challenge to stand in the gap God of those who are crying and some Lord are crying and don't even know why they're crying dear God put in their hearts a desire to want to know who you are God, we lift up each and every one of our family members that still do not know your Son as their personal Lord and Savior. Dear God, convict their hearts of their unbelief. May you help us, O God, to rely on your Son to be a faithful witness and a testimony that others would see the light of Christ in us and the freedom from sin and the bondage from sin. Forgive us, O God. Have mercy upon us for our iniquity. Grant us your strength, your grace, your mercy, and your peace. We lift up the city to you, dear God. Have mercy upon this city, may you continue to use heritage as a beacon of light that others would hear your word that you would bring lost souls through these doors God may your word have free course in this city may we repent Lord as a nation for our sins. And forgive us, O God, for our pride, for not praying as we ought, for not sacrificing, dear God, our time for you. Fill us, O God, with your spirit. Give us your strength to endure your strength to live and walk worthy of this calling. In your precious name we pray, amen. God bless you, church. Brothers and sisters, one quick announcement. In five minutes, we're going to be celebrating birthdays and wedding anniversaries in the cafeteria at the snack table. It was Cyrus's birthday this month. Eno had a birthday this month. Later this week is Lebo's birthday. Jacob Smith had a birthday. Angelica, Paris, Lilia, Digna, and Shelly. And two anniversaries, Adrian and Susan Smith celebrated. And Joe and Mew Falco are going to be celebrating later this month. Five minutes. Meet you in the cafeteria.